Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today I'm in Zurich at the offices of Eva, and I'm meeting Leah von Bitter. I will talk to her about being a female founder, and I also want to get some advice how it is to start a company in the US. Let's go and pick her up. Hi, Leah. Hello, hi. Great to be here. I was so looking forward to that interview because I read on LinkedIn your post. You, uh, you posted about uh, that my girls won't be entrepreneurs in Switzerland, so I really would like to focus on that. But Prove also, me wrong. <laughs> I try. <laughs> but maybe to start out, like where we are here, okay, could you tell us a little bit about this place and about your office in Zurich? Sure, absolutely. So we are in the building where our office is, and this is kind of the restaurant that is downstairs, um, Daisy's. And yeah, we have our office here. The headquarters of Eva is here in Zurich-Binz, um, where we have now around 25 people. Where else are you in the world? We have two more offices. We have one office in San Francisco, where we have around five people now. And then we have an office in Serbia, where we do all the software development. And um, in San Francisco, you're mainly in San Francisco, right? I am mainly in San Francisco, yeah. I moved to San Francisco around two years ago to build up the office there. Okay, so I think that would be also a great topic. We should uh, try okay. to talk about it, like why San Francisco and why not Switzerland or why both? So I think that's something which is super interesting for startup founders. Absolutely. But maybe to start out, like um, you posted that um, it is not just that the girls, so you, on one hand you looked at all the data, you said a little bit the data is incomplete or you, 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 um, you, you collected more data about it, how many girls or how many women are actually uh, starting companies. But on the other hand, you, um, you also told the, the reader what's going to happen with that if, if it's that way and, and what the, 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 the impact will be. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and why do you think it's so important to have women in these positions and starting companies? Sure. So I think the whole topic is very close to my heart and has always been. And I think what I saw in the startup ecosystem is the startup ecosystem in Switzerland is still really young. Um, and so there's still potential to kind of influence it and give it some direction. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen in the last couple of years where the startup ecosystem grew is that we just have a huge gender gap in the Swiss startup ecosystem. And that's not, you know, in any way extraordinary because we have that in San Francisco as well. It's everywhere. But in Switzerland, it's very, it's very particular. Plus also, I'm from Switzerland, so I really care about what's going on here. And, and the gender gap is what you said, on the one hand, it's much bigger than I think people believed because the statistics I got all the time was, well, 50% of companies are nowadays founded by women, right? Mm -hmm. That's the statistic everyone throws around. Yeah. And that is wonderful. But the thing is just if you then look at particularly startups defined as probably high growth companies, potentially with venture capital or third party financing, if you look at just that little subsegment of companies, there, the gender gap is much, much bigger than people think. It's one out of ten, right? Yeah, About. and so, so it was important for me to, to specify that a little bit because mm -hmm. I think that the problem was a little bit underestimated. Even though everyone, I mean, you must know, I know, everyone that is in a startup ecosystem knows there was just really no data about it. So that's why it was important to me to kind of just float up the data a little bit. And then on the other hand, your other question, what the issue with that is, is I sincerely believe that we are now moving into a digital age where startups are going to become much bigger and they're going to be the main employers of a lot of people in the future in Switzerland. And so it's really, it's really a vicious circle because if you have a lot of men starting those companies, they're potentially going to hire more men 
to run those companies, those men are going to run off and start their own companies, or if they're successful, they are going to be the future investors. So the startup ecosystem reinforces itself. Mm -hmm. And once you start having a gender gap at one point, be it founders, then that's just going to trickle down the entire ecosystem. And I think it's really important for us that we are really aware of this right now and already try to give it some direction and, and try to you know, improve the situation while we still can. Did you, is that something you realized also when your colleagues, like your co-founders who are male, yeah. are hiring, that they are more likely to hire guys and you're more likely to hire girls? So where does that come from? Or is there a study or something underneath that it's just, that we just feel more comfortable, that I'm feeling more comfortable to hire a guy and you feel more comfortable to hire a woman? I think it's less about being comfortable. I think you would be as comfortable hiring a woman as I am comfortable um, hiring a man or a woman, but it's, it's more about when you're in a startup, you're constantly under pressure to hire. You never have time to hire someone, right? right? If you take the decision to hire someone, it's long overdue every single time, True. right? So you're standing there and you say, okay, we finally have this budget or whatever, yeah. we need to hire that person tomorrow. Who knows someone in Exactly, the office who knows someone. It's, it's the first reaction. It's like, everyone, we need someone right now or actually yesterday. And, and that's more it, right? It's, it's more it. that because you're hiring so many people in your network, mm -hmm. it's just easier to hire your friends, your friends' friends, and I, I would assume that men still have a much more male network and women just have a more, more female network. And that's kind of what's happening, right? And, and I think in startups that's just what it is and you can't blame anyone for doing that because right. you're in a hurry, your company is you know, still really fragile. Um, but that's, where, that's kind of where that comes from. So in your article, um, I saw that um, there are certain groups you're giving advice to. Um, could you tell us a little bit what the advice is you're giving in your article? Sure. So I think on the one hand, it's important that founders um, are aware. I think that's really all it takes, I think, awareness. Because a lot of founders think, well, I don't have the time to deal with this right now. This is not, this is not the highest priority. And, and then they kind of think, well, you know, this whole diversity thing, I'll get to that when I have 100 people, 200 people, whatever. But, but, but what they forget then is that it really reinforces itself throughout the entire organization. So you have to, you, as a founder, I think very early on, you already have to be very aware of the culture that you're building, and that should just be a part of the culture. So I would really urge founders to be really aware that if they hire in their network, that's kind of what's going to happen to their mm -hmm. organization. And then I also think investors should be really careful around that. Investors should be looking at their numbers and look at how many companies they're, they're funding that are that have female founders, one or, or many. And the reason for that is because investors want to invest in companies that they've that they somehow recognize that are going to be successful. So mm -hmm. a lot of investors have this bias of they know Mark Zuckerberg is not really successful, so they're going to try to fund companies that look like Mark Zuckerberg's company. Right. And because we don't have really a lot of female founders that have been really successful and can serve as role models, I think mm -hmm. investors should be aware of this bias that they have when it comes to funding companies. Got it. Seems all very logical, but actually it's just mainly being aware of it, being aware of I it and, so. and just think it through and, and realize what's actually happening when I take certain decisions. So. Um, maybe to, uh, to learn a little bit more about your situation mm -hmm. and how you became an entrepreneur. Like I'm, I'm like really grateful that we have you. You said we, ha we don't have these role models and as 
you know and I know and probably we can share, I had to convince you a little bit to actually <laughs> step up and, and do this interview. Yes. But I think it's so valuable that uh, um, um, female entrepreneurs do that, as you already mentioned. And so I'm very grateful for that. And so I think it's really for um, young female wannabe entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting the company, I think it would be very, very um, interesting to learn how you became an entrepreneur. Did you grow mm -hmm. up already in an entrepreneurial environment, in an entrepreneurial family, or how did you grow up? It's a good question. I actually did. So my, my mother has her own consulting company, um, and my father used to work in pharmaceuticals but started his own company when I was around 14 years old. Um, as a side project, he has many side projects. Um, so, so it was very interesting for, for me to see, and I think that that was definitely inspiring. But still, I, I went to uh, the University of St. Gallen when I was 18, and I very clearly thought that I'm going to become a strategy consultant like everyone else. So that was really okay. the path that I took initially, and that was really what I wanted to do. And then I think I was just, somehow I got more and more interested in entrepreneurship. So I know a lot of a lot of founders that I know in San Francisco, they kind of started their first company when they were 10 years old or 11, and then they opened you know, a lemonade stand and whatever mm -hmm. else. And I, I really didn't have that. I yeah. think it started for me much later when I was at university. Did something special happen? Like, were there any people or any classes or something? Like, really, could you take us really at that place where, where it changed? Like, can you remember when you thought, oh, maybe being an entrepreneur would be cooler than a consultant at a consulting firm? Yeah, so I think it was a, it was like a series of really small steps that led to it. So I started taking a few classes in St. Gallen just because I was interested. And then I did my exchange semester in Montreal. And so in Montreal, Canada. And then what happened there is there was, in Montreal there's this chocolate chain, it's like this chocolate shop, cafe mm -hmm. chain mm -hmm. um, called uh, Juliet Chocolat. And we spent so much time there. And I always thought it was fascinating given that I'm Swiss, and they have this really successful chocolate concept, and I've never seen anything like that in Switzerland. And I just really liked it, and I thought it was a great idea. And so I came back to Switzerland, and I convinced the professor at the University of St. Colin that I could write a business plan as a bachelor thesis, which I think everyone around me was jealous of, because if you have to write a theoretical 40-page you know, thesis, and I'm next to you, and I'm like, I'm writing a business plan. Um, cool. So that was great. So that was my first business plan, and I'm, I'm really glad they let me do it, because it's really not the standard practice of what the university did at that time. So I did that, and I never really thought that I'm actually going to start it. It was more like a fun project. So at that time, I still didn't really think that I'm going to do that. Um, but then I had to choose my master degree. And I basically had two choices. So I started looking around, and I knew that I wanted maybe to do something in entrepreneurship. But I also knew that I could do the strategy master at the University of St. Gallen, which would prepare me perfectly for this consulting career. Right. <laughs> um, so I applied to different things, and basically, in the end, it really came down to the strategy master at the University of St. Gallen, or this crazy entrepreneurship program that would be in France, China, and the US, and only a year, and it seemed very different. Um, and I think the lucky thing there was that I was backpacking in South America at the time when I had to take that decision. Yeah. So I think I was somewhere on the beach in Chile and I had to decide whether to go back to the University of St. Gallen or go to do this crazy program that would bring me to all places in the world and teach me about entrepreneurship. And I mean, at that point, I, I definitely decided for the entrepreneurship program. Cool. And so that's how, how the whole thing started. And then once I ended up there, it became more and more solidified. And I also started my first company then during that program. 
And what kind of program is it? Was it offered by the University of St. Gallen or was it something else? It had else nothing there? to do anymore with the University of St. Gallen. So I, I went away from that, from, from St. Gallen and it's a master in international entrepreneurship. And it's really led by UM Lyon in France, um, Sejong University in China and Purdue University in the US. And you basically oh, cool. do a semester at each place together with a group of people. Yeah. And we were around 35 people. We did the whole track together. And I think now more than half have their own companies. So it was really, really important. And I think it impacted all of us really, really strongly. So mm -hmm. every, almost everyone went the entrepreneurship track or now works in a startup. Wow, cool. So you would say actually it was on one hand that you were open to the world at that moment, mm -hmm. traveling. So you would recommend to travel, like to see the world, to expose yourself to other cultures. And on the other hand, it was really this step you made into that program and mm -hmm. then being with like-minded people who have the same, like I think it's like boarding a train a little bit. Like yeah. if you board the train, you are you're realizing, hey, we are going somewhere mm -hmm. and you don't want to step out or there has to be a major issue. And so you never thought again about becoming a, 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 a business consultant like that was at that point that was gone or was it still is it still something you think sometimes about it? And how, how do you feel like what would be the Leah now as a business consultant? Is that a, an image you can? I mean, I think I would have been perfectly happy as a consultant. Um, I think, you know, what I, what I, I think what's kind of the, the red line through all, through all the things that I've done is, is I always wanted to do really, really challenging things and I always wanted to challenge myself a lot. And I think that's probably how business consulting came up because it just seemed like the hardest track you could possibly do. And then I found another track that was also really hard. So I think I would be perfectly happy also in consulting. Um, it would have just been a very different path and I'm happy I didn't take it. And yeah. now I would never, never, never go, go back, back to, to it, it anymore. Yeah. No, but I understand that I was fascinated by it a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. Maybe to go a little bit back, we, we a little bit skipped it. You said yeah. you told me about the, the business plan of the chocolate company, but that actually a, a, a very similar concept came to life like as your first startup, could you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe also mm -hmm. like why you did it and why you did it in Bangalore and yeah. not in Switzerland because Switzerland is the chocolate country. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I came back, so I wrote this business plan, right? Really it was this thesis business plan and I just wanted to have a good grade in my thesis. And, but the good thing there was that I basically cold called people in the chocolate industry in Switzerland and they were all really nice and they all were willing to meet me for interviews or conversations and and those are those were connections that I later used a lot when I actually started my company but at that time they met me because they didn't really take it really serious mm -hmm. and they were just really nice to help out the student um, but that's how I got into this whole chocolate industry a little bit so I understood chocolate to a certain degree when I started my masters um, and I mean I love chocolate chocolate is one of my biggest passions in life. Um, and then, so I started my master's degree and there was after, so we first went to France and my business partner, um, my later business partner, Anusha, she saw France, she went to Brussels, she went to Belgium and she saw all those chocolate stores and she, she kind of fixated on the idea that bringing premium chocolate to India would be an interesting idea. And then we met in China, when we were in China, we basically had the first meeting and she said, look, I really want to start this. You're Swiss, you obviously <laughs> understand chocolate, you know. The typical how naive you are yeah, when you start a company, types. you're like, yeah. oh yeah, you, you, you know. Um, so why don't, we, why don't we look at that together? Um, 
And, and I was like, okay, that sounds like a great project to have. And then we we took it quite seriously, you know. I mean, you have a lot of, I, before I had a lot of business plans. I have my typical Word or Excel sheet that I think a lot of us probably have where we just mm -hmm. write down random ideas and I just thought, okay, that's just another one we could potentially do. Mm -hmm. But I always thought I would want to go back to chocolate and then the fact that it was in India made a lot of sense to me. So we started working on it and then we, you know, one thing to leads to another, you have, an email address and then you take yourself really serious and then you think you kind of have to follow through with the whole entire idea afterwards. Um, and I mean, for me, it was interesting because after my Matura, when I was 18 years old, I went to travel in India for two months. I backpacked in India, so I knew India from, from before. Yeah. Um, so, so it made sense to me to do something like that there. Yeah. So anyways, in China, we kind of built the whole thing up. When we were in the US, we really wrote the business plan. We started getting the investment. Um, from her family company. And then two weeks after the US, we moved to India, or I moved to India and, and started the company. Did she come yeah. along or how did you do it like together? Was she in the program, in the same program? See, she was in the same program. She was in the same program as I was. She was my colleague in the program and she lived in Bangalore. So she's, she's oh, Indian. She, she is Indian. She yeah. already knew like how yeah. it's going to be. So that helped a lot too. Absolutely. Like probably without her, you, would, you, would you have gone to India? Or? I don't think so. Yeah. No. So it's very different, right? I've never traveled to India, so you I should. Thought, yeah, you should. I think. Um, I really like my time there. I, yeah, I mean, I was in India before, but I mean, the fact that she brought it up yeah. um, w was really important. I mean, the, she said, well, because I told her I want to do something with chocolate again, and in New Switzerland is going to be almost impossible to do. And then she said, why don't we do it in India? And then the kind of it all got together mm -hmm. and it, it started to make sense. And how yeah. calm did you end that time? It was just two years, right? Like your time in India? It was two years. Yeah. In the and end. how how did it like end for you, or mm. why did you say I'm coming back? And what were the main reasons to stop? I think it had a lot of different reasons. I think we had after two years, it was for me. It started to be. Um, I so I sort of wanted to go back to Switzerland after a while. I was there for two years. It was wonderful, but I kind of felt that I have to move on to the next thing. That was definitely on the one side, um, and then on the other side. It was also between us, it wasn't always easy. We had a lot of cultural things that, that worked differently. She had a different vision for the company at that time. Um, and, and that's why in the end it made sense for me to go back. And I started to have different ideas. I had a new business idea. So I also, I wanted to go back to Switzerland and get started with something, something else. else. And, um, and how did you resolve it? Like, could you tell us, like maybe, I, I think there are a lot of um, founders out there who maybe realize that it, they don't have that good fit. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that can happen, actually. And yeah. I think we should be very um, candid about it, that actually. it's happening. And how did you resolve it? Like, what did you do, like, together as a team when you realized, okay, the fit is not that great? How did you actually split up? Yeah, um, split ups are hard. Um, and I think it wasn't, I mean, I'm not, I'm, we're no role models at all in this, because I think our, our, our split up wasn't, wasn't great. Um, I mean, basically, at some point, we just said, this doesn't make sense anymore, and I left. Um, okay. But I mean, it was a hard process, because it's hard, especially if it's your first company, you're, you're really close to that company. So leaving yeah. it was, was rather difficult. Yeah. And is there anything you do different, like the next time, like you started a new, we will uh, soon talk about, uh, about Aiva. Mm -hmm. um, uh, did, did you do something different now, like now choosing a co-founder, now being in a team? Is there any recommendation you can give someone looking for a co-founder than actually being successful with a co-founder? Yeah, so I mean, when I joined Ava, there were already the three of them there and they were basically 
looking for one additional person and that was me. So I had, I didn't choose just one co-founder. I kind of decided whether I want to join that team or not. Um, and I think probably two things that were, three things that were very different. First of all, the team was built probably especially by Pascal, who, who was the first one to really start building that team in a very strategic way. So it was not just, oh, we're, we're all friends, let's just mm -hmm. do a company together. It was very strategically, we need one person for this, one person for that, and one person for that. And, and that was definitely the right choice. And we didn't know each other before. So we really, we met through, okay. through business and then yeah. we, we started working together. So it was a much more strategic way of doing this. I think the second thing is we started working together initially without me being a co-founder mm -hmm. that really helped so we had like almost a probation period for both of us I would say where where they could see whether I would fit in and I could see whether I would want to join the company mm -hmm. um, and that really helped and I think the third thing is also to be very open about what you want I think a lot of founders really struggle with those conversations about shares about money how do you do that and it's a very uncomfortable situation that's yes. at least what I had in my first company it's very uncomfortable to to talk to your co-founder about shares, especially if you think you, if, especially if there's an imbalance, if it's not just straight out 50-50, but for some reason there's gonna be an imbalance. And I think at Ava, we managed from the beginning on to have very open conversations about that and about what everyone expects, and we still have those. And I think that really helps because in the end with those people, you're gonna work with those people for years. So if you're not happy about certain things from day one on, that's, that's really difficult. And I think that's something you need to just have a very transparent conversation about. Mm -hmm. So if you would have to choose between a friend or a business partner, you would rather go for a professional relation, like if you can really, so you ended up to have more successful teams or you believe that there are more successful teams if they are more picked strategic because probably yeah. like young entrepreneurs they just tend to say hey let's just do it let's just and i think i mean there's great examples of people where that absolutely worked out right i think there's no no right way but in the end i think what's really important is that person might be your friend but you really need to be clear of what will he or she bring to the company and what will you bring to the company? And if, mm -hmm. if that's for both of you the same thing, and that's one of the potential issues we had in India that we both mm -hmm. thought finance should be in our area. And, you know, so, so if you, you need to be super clear from the beginning who brings what to the table. And that doesn't mean that your friend has to be the absolute genius in that and you should only pick him or her strategically for that. But you need to have some understanding of this role distribution and whether that's mm -hmm. going to work out or not. And I personally would value the skill set and the, uh, the skill set and the role, I would value that higher than the friendship itself. So I'd rather mm -hmm. would want to work with someone that really fills that role than a friend who has kind of an overlapping idea of what they would be doing. Okay, yeah. I think that's what I realize often, that they are like three three guys or girls founding together a company and mm. then like after a couple of months already one left and I think that's that a happen. very very frustrating process for the one who has to leave or wants to leave but also for the ones who stay on so we and especially at mm. the time where you could your you could use your energy in a much better way yeah no yeah. absolutely I mean it's, it's absolutely something to avoid but I mean it's it also happens. really hard to avoid yeah. especially with your first company I think where you're just yeah. excited and you and probably something I also feel like what you're saying is rather if you realize it doesn't work rather put an end to it and say hey move on there are other ideas there are other co-founders then stick too long with it if you're just don't get anything achieved together I think it's all about valuing 
your time because you always have opportunity costs. You could always be doing something else. Yeah. And I think everyone should be really aware that this, I, I also think that this time, maybe that's more a woman focused thing, but it shouldn't be, it should really be <laughs> for both genders. But, but your time where you have all this energy and you have no responsibility and you could also work for free for a couple of months and it will be fine. That time isn't so long right. because at some point you might have a family and then the whole thing gets much more complicated or you buy a house or a dog or whatever, whatever else you mm -hmm. do, right? So, so this time where you have pretty much zero responsibilities isn't that long. So if something doesn't work out, and that was the case what I had in India, it totally makes sense to, to just shift to something else at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, maybe more bringing it to Ava now. Yeah. Um, you're not wearing your bracelet I right now. Here, you don't have it here, you brought it along, but I maybe there is a reason you're not wearing it during the day, right? Yes, um, Ava's only worn during the night. Um, which really helps so that you don't have to show all of your friends and family that you're trying to get pregnant right now. Um, but yeah, so Ava's worn during the night only. And um, could you maybe explain us a little bit how it works? Like there are so many sensors, like people said, people ask me, is it invasive or not? It's not, just yeah. to be clear on that. But yeah. could you like tell us a little bit how you brought that together and how the idea came to this product now? Sure, absolutely. So maybe quickly what we are doing. So Eva is really a women's health company and, and our product or the first product we have is, is this wearable that you wear during the night. Um, what it does is it tracks nine different physiological parameters. You see a little bit the sensors here on the downside. It's from temperature to breathing rate to pulse rate, pulse rate wearability and, and others that it measures continuously during the night. Mm -hmm. And we are measuring those parameters to understand the hormonal changes of a woman during her menstrual cycle, which allows us to pinpoint very accurately at the very beginning of a woman's fertile window, um, which is especially interesting for women who are trying to get pregnant. And, and that's basically what Eva does right now. It helps women to understand where they are in the cycle, when they can potentially get pregnant, um, and helps them get pregnant faster. And it's really a device that, basically the alternatives to Eva at this point are you know, still from urine sticks to basal body temperature, where you take your temperature every morning and you build, you put it into this big chart. Mm -hmm. So our, our whole aim here was really to come up with something that was much more modern 21st century, um, and it could really support women, where we use technology for everything we do, but somehow infertility tracking and cycle tracking, it has just been long overdue. Mm -hmm. um, and the methods we've had were really 50 years old, if not older. So that's kind of how the whole thing came up. And I think all of us founders have a different different entry point to why this was important to us. Um, I mean, I have co-founders who were trying to get pregnant, co-founders who used this for or had cycle tracking for other reasons. Um, and we, I think we all had a really kind of personal story around why we wanted this to happen. Um, I mean, for me personally, the the big vision here is to bring this into the contraceptive area in the future. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that, that is more on top of my mind at this point because I'm not starting a family yet. But I think, I mean, it's just such an important part of your, of your life that every one of us was kind of intrigued to do this. Yeah. And the pill is actually not the best option, right? We agree on that probably, it's just too many hormones. And if you can do, if you can do that without all these hormones, it would be like a super great healthy device where I think it's a very it's a very personal decision, and it really depends where you are in your life if the pill is the best thing for you or not. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my personal experience, I had a lot of trouble with birth control, and I know that a lot of my friends had. And I think right now the gap between hormonal birth control 
and non-hormonal birth control is too big. Hormonal birth mm. control is viewed as very safe and, and the standard that you should have, and non-hormonal birth control is still very inaccurate. It's really difficult for women to use. Mm -hmm. So I understand that women are not switching to that, even right. though they would like to get off the hormones, mm -hmm. switching to non-hormonal just seems too risky and too difficult. And I, I really hope, or my vision for Eva is, that we would step into that gap mm -hmm. and be actually an alternative for women to use a contraception that is non-hormonal, but is still accurate and is really easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what we're trying to do, but it's still gonna take a while till we're there. When you say a while, like, what do you think? Like, uh, like what would you, what would be your wish? Do we talk for months or years or centuries? <laughs> like, how um, far are we away for someone who is not understanding the full technology? And I think we are less than five years away, but it's gonna be years. So and, and what does what what changes do you have to make to the product, or what do you have to improve that you actually can 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 predict the opposite? Yeah. <laughs> so it's really that it's really an algorithm question. So if we right now the whole product and the whole algorithm is focused on detecting your very most fertile days. Um, if we wanted to do contraception, we would have to turn that around and it would have to not only recognize the most fertile days, but all days that could be potentially fertile. So it's really a change in the algorithm. But a change in the algorithm doesn't sound like such a big deal to do. Mm -hmm. But if we want to do contraception, we need to do all the medi uh, medical and clinical studies before we can we can write this algorithm even, and then especially before we deploy it. So there's a lot of clinical research that we still have to do. We have to do a larger clinical study. And then obviously it's the whole regulation path that, that is just taking time. Contraception is a highly regulated area, um, more highly regulated than where we're in right now. And, and that would definitely take time. That's uh, in the US it's an FDA approval or? We are FDA registered at this point as a Meta Class 1 device. We are also registered in Europe um, and CE marked, but contraception will get us into a higher class. Okay. And that is what will, will take some time. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, maybe you could tell us also a little bit how you like built the company, so how you went from, and I said you raised a lot of money, like raising money, like in Switzerland, a lot of people say, okay, it's easy to get some business angel monies, but after a million, most companies will not yeah. find money. Like, what's your take on that? Or how did you, were, were you able to, to be so successful and so, so determined on, on your way to growing a company? Yes, I mean, I think one thing initially that I, still very much admire about my co-founders that we had even before financing is what they did and I mean I think it's important to notice that to note here that my co-founders had companies before successful companies that we still mm -hmm. that we still hear and are still around um, and I think that taught them that but what we did really from day one on is we were a company. I think a lot of people start a company and then they don't really dare to tell other people. And at a social event, they would say, oh, I'm working on this project. But Ava was really from the beginning on a company from day one. And we just, we said, this is our job and this is what we're doing. We never really questioned the whole thing. It was never, oh, I'm working on this, but I'll see if it works out. It was mm -hmm. really just, we're gonna make this work somehow. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. is now a company. We took it very serious from day one. Um, and also we started paying ourselves salaries out of the own money that we invested, but yeah. still, which is for tax reasons, a horrible idea, but for how you <laughs> think about your job, yeah. we really saw this as a paying job from day one because we basically paid ourselves. And I, I still really admire that because I wouldn't have done that. And I think that was a really interesting approach um, because it didn't allow us to go 
back anymore. We told everyone we're doing this. We had, there was the whole structure in place. Mm. Anyway, so we did that and I think that was really important. And then we came up with a prototype for Ava, which was a, a big black box you could put on your arm, <laughs> yeah. but it helped. Um, and I think one thing that was, we're doing medical technology and that just takes time. And the thing we did initially is we went out and we basically won almost every significant Swiss startup price. Wow. And that really helped um, yeah. because that got us the initial financing. So we would already mm -hmm. have data when we had to raise our seed round. Because otherwise, especially as a medical company, it's very hard to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, but we we won money initially. <laughs> and okay. that, that just really that helped the us. Main, the, the seed funding actually came through. The seed through. funding. The yeah. seed, seed funding was yeah. competitions. Okay. It was competitions. And then on the other hand, we also worked with CTI. Um, for our clinical study. Or a CTI project. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so we had those kind of sources and that, that led us to when we raised our seed round, we already had a prototype, we had some data and we had some idea of where this, this might be going. So that really helped. So when we raised our seed round, we already had, you know, I mean, that was in November 15. So we were already on this for, for a whole year at mm -hmm. that point before we raised seed money. Yeah. Um, so you didn't raise very early. So you stayed like the dependency on investors was came came into place like at a not later stage, but you had a long period where you were able to prepare, where you were finding out what you actually do. I think so. I mean, looking back at that point, it still felt really early when we had to raise, right? Because we still didn't have a lot of things in yeah. place. But now looking back, I mean, we had certain things in place and we had to have those in place because we had to have some kind of prototype and some idea of what we we're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that was good. That really helped us for our seed round. Um, and also, again, seed round. I mean, one of our seed round investors is, is Swisscom, which also came through for a startup competition. Mm -hmm. So we really took All advantage. <laughs> yes, we, we, we really did. We really took advantage of those prices. They yeah. were really important to us in the end, which is interesting because now looking back, I mean, the amount isn't huge, but when you're right at the beginning, the, yeah. the amount is really, really significant for you. On the other hand, like probably there were other companies competing against you during that time and they yeah. didn't win. Yeah. Like what's your take on, on, on competitions like that? Because in the end, there are so many people out there who are then the losers. In your case, you were the yeah. winner, but for the others? Look, I mean, I think those startup competitions are, I mean, it's impossible for those companies to really judge who they are gonna, you know, get to win. But also then for investors at a later stage, it's also like, it's not gonna be fair and it's not gonna be fair for, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing about investing, right? Even seed mm -hmm. rounds, there's losers and there's winners because people do a certain amount of rounds. So I think the selection process there is hard and it's not necessarily fair on an objective level. So I would never, mm. just because you lose in a competition, that doesn't mean your idea doesn't work at yeah. all. I mean, I would take that feedback. And I mean, even if we won some of them, we also got really critical feedback and we took it really serious. Okay. And I think that helps. But in the end, that's one way to finance yourself through to a seed round. Mm -hmm. But you can also finance yourself without winning all those competitions. I think it was just for us, it was really, really helpful. Yeah. Maybe that's something you're bringing up, um, the feedback, because there are um, prizes you can win where you get feedback, yeah. if, even if you lose. Yeah. And there are prizes, they just don't give you feedback. They just say you, you're, you didn't qualify. Yeah. So maybe that's something a startup entrepreneur could think about if they put a lot of hours into to preparing for something like that, that they at least get a feedback. 
And maybe what I think is that your um, startup was a little bit designed to win these prizes. Like it's a, a, a nice idea. It, it works mm. very well. Like it feels so obvious that someone should do that. Mm. And then with a, 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 um, a young uh, woman at the top of the company, that's really a good story. So maybe these companies should also ask themselves, are we like really qualifying for the criterias of this price? Or should we rather go out there and try to find the first customer? rather than go for a price and put a lot of money in there. Because what I saw is that there are startups out there who are applying for these prices, mm -hmm. then believe because they didn't qualify um, that their idea is not worth to invest more. And then I, I really have, I put a lot of effort in there to tell them, hey, no one can judge that at that early stage. So you rather go out there and if you don't find any customers, that's the higher proof that it doesn't work. So at least try to find some customers. And that's something which I'm struggling mm -hmm. with a little bit, but that's something you see too. And I think for you, it was just the opportunity and you just... Yeah. No, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, winning or losing a competition is not going to be the, the determining factor for, for your company at a later stage. And no one should be discouraged because they didn't win a competition because competitions mm -hmm. aren't life. And the criteria, as you mentioned, the criteria might be different. Um, on the other hand, I think, preparing for those competitions can help a lot because it, the more you pitch, the better, right? Is it for that competition or for that? Like you just train yourself, mm -hmm. right? And if you now sit at home and you say, okay, I'm doing this really complicated product that no one will understand and there's no point of me applying, still apply because it forces you to put your thoughts into somehow a slide deck, which is easily understandable for a lot of people that have no expertise in your area, and you will have to do that anyways. So I think mm -hmm. actually going into these competitions, it helps you structure your thoughts a little bit because yeah. you know you, you basically it forces you to write a business plan mm -hmm. and then to present it over and over again. And every time you present it, you will realize that something is a little off, or maybe you should tweak this little thing. And I think that helps. Okay, but then it's actually more like, then you should take these competitions more like a business plan coaching and yeah. the, it's like guiding you through the process instead okay. of saying the ultimate goal is to win that prize. And if we are not winning, then we are super depressed. Like you should say, if we win, then it's a plus, it's an additional money we get, but the goal is actually not winning. The goal is to prepare ourselves for then actually raising money. I think Absolutely. that's a very, very important message. Yeah, because your pitch deck is gonna get better every single time. And I mean, I remember the first time I had to pitch Ava, I was maybe in the company for a month and I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I remember that, and it was really, it was really not an important event. It really <laughs> wasn't, right? But it was some kind of competition. We lost that competition, by the way. Yeah. Um, but it was some kind of competition and we had to go there and we had to present it and there were maybe 20 people and they were all really nice having dinner. Like there was nothing to be scared of, but it was still, you know, the first time you do this, you're nervous. Mm, and then everyone. we did it over and over and over again. And at the point when we started raising our seed round, we've already done this so many times. We had this perfect routine. We knew exactly, we had, we had every different scenario. I mean, we're four founders. Mm. So different people went to different pitches and you knew, okay, if I'm sitting in a train in the morning with Philip, then this is how we're going to distribute the deck. If I'm with Peter, then this is how we're going to distribute. Like we had, we just had this routine. Yeah. And because you have to do it so many times. And I think that really, that really helped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why did you decide to go to the US? You, you, you just make it so obviously, of, of course you had to go to the US, but why did you decide or how did you find out? And what were the main reasons to say, okay, we are actually launching the product first in the US? 
Um, we had different reasons, but the biggest reason was the market. We just knew that we have a new technology that is really superior to everything that is out there right now. It is a better product. And we knew that we have to be really, really fast to make sure that we become the standard in the market. Mm -hmm. And if you have to be fast and you're doing a consumer product, then you have to go to the US. It's just because it's it's so much more scalable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're doing Europe now and I see how how we're struggling in Europe from time to time because we have to translate everything and it's complicated and every single market is different. In the US, you can just scale things much, much, much faster. And the US market is bigger, it's more innovation friendly. And also I think, and I mean, we've seen that with certain examples in the Swiss startup ecosystem, if you don't go to the US, someone else will start the company there, will get a ton more funding than you will, and in a couple of years, they'll come to Europe. Yeah. Um, and that's what we, I mean, it was really important for us to say, okay, if we're the first ones here and we have a better technology, we need to scale it as fast as somewhere possible. Okay, so that's not why someone, someone else is doing it. Is there any recommendation you can give to someone who is thinking about actually going to the, yes, to the US? What did you do in preparation? Was there something that was super important? Um, I think we were lucky because we were a part of, of CTI and we could do this one month at Swissnex's um, intro program mm -hmm. and then we could do another three months. So it was, it was almost like a slow process. We went there first for a month, yeah. our flights were even covered so they were paid for and so the mm -hmm. expense wasn't that big. So I went there yeah. just to see and How then we liked it and then we went there for another three months and then we took the decision to go there. So it was kind mm -hmm. of, it was still, even though the decision was very clear that we have to do it, mm -hmm. we still gave ourselves a little bit of time to go and check whether that makes sense or not. And I would really recommend everyone to do those camps because they're great. They bring you over there, they give you a place to work and it, it really helps initially. So you were at that Swiss Next office. Were you already in the new was, one or were you still, the still, old in the old one? One. Okay. still in the old one? So it's even more interesting to go now, right? It is, yeah. it's I've, wonderful now. I mean, I would really recommend everyone to do it. I haven't been there, but uh, it seems that they have really, really nice offices at the pier, right? They do, they do, it's wonderful. And I think really the other recommendation is to go as early as possible. Um, I think we went really early, mm -hmm. but Already there, we had a certain structure in place in Switzerland, and we have built things up here, and then we raised money in Switzerland. Um, I think, depending on the industry that you're in, it might make sense to go much earlier. Mm -hmm. And it might even make sense to go and found your company in the States from the beginning on. But then it would be super sad, so you would win all the prizes here in Switzerland. Yeah, you can't you do that. Do, yeah. Yeah. No, you so. can't do that. And it's going to be much harder to win the prizes in San Francisco, <laughs> oh, I can tell you. Probably. Um, but I, I mean, I, from the outside, I really appreciate the whole incubator model that they have in the US. I think mm -hmm. if you're a really young company in Switzerland, and it makes sense with your business model, I think applying to Y Combinator or 500 startups early on would make a lot of sense. I oh. mean, they are, they're focusing mm -hmm. more and more also on foreign companies. They will bring you in. Yes, they take some of your equity right away, but they give you money and they put you through this really intense program. Yeah. And I mean, it was too late for us. When we looked at it, we were already too far in the process. When, when, you, when can you say it's too late? Like for someone who is thinking about it? I think once you've raised money or you're very close to it, it's too okay. late. Because they really want to have this initial stake in your company. They are taking between five and 10%, depending, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I think so, depending like probably how could you negotiate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then they, they bring you in and they put you through that program, but really they don't want outside investors at this point. Yeah. I think they could deal maybe with some, but yeah. I mean, in general, in the US, they don't really like companies that have 
European investment, right? Yeah. And especially if it happened so early already at the pre-seed mm -hmm. stage. Do you have American investors now? We have investors who are based in the US and in Europe, okay. but they all tie, they all have in ties somehow to Switzerland or Europe. Okay. Yeah. Because in the end, that's what I heard a lot of times, like you have a messed up cap table. That was like something I, because I just didn't realize that we were messing it up for like five years. Yeah, yeah, no. And then when I started to talk to American investors, it got really, really hard. So that's something also, if you start with a clean sledge, it might be easier to, 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 to get the structure right with an American market. I don't know yeah. how you can be a Swiss company without a messed up cap table. Yeah. It's it's impossible. It's the way it's the way we finance here that will yeah. mess up your cap table, and mm -hmm. and it's just you're gonna have a lot of investors. And for for a US VC in a seed round having more than let's say two investors is a messed up cap table. And mm -hmm. having, I mean, it's really basically you need to have two investors max, and those investors have to be in the US. They have mm -hmm. to be US based, and your company also has to be based in the US. So you also have to flip the company and bring it to the US. Right. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah. And as soon as you've done one of those differently, then it's too late. Yeah, um, right. But if you can still help it and you can influence it from the very beginning, that is an option. But it mm -hmm. also means that you are founding an American company and you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. In our case, it wouldn't have worked because we have our headquarters in Switzerland. We like that we have it here, we want to keep it and my co-founders are here. Right. But if you are young, hungry and ambitious and you want to go to San Francisco and only start your company there, then, then do it right from the beginning and go early. Mm -hmm. Is there any way how you can still like um, turn it around or is it like, do you have the strategy that you say the later we are and the, the more powerful we are that maybe the Americans are still in? Is this a, a scenario that could happen and are you actually aiming for that? Yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. I think if you're messed up cap table as soon as you're relevant enough and then it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, we've seen cases, right? In like a series B, possibly even C scenario, suddenly American investors get interested, even though you're legally based in Europe and even though your cap table looks, looks mm -hmm. not according to standards. But you need to make it till there, right? Yeah. So you need to at least raise, you need to raise your Series A somewhere in Europe. I think Series A is probably too early. Unless in your you're, case, like, just to like for people who are not that familiar with these A and B and Cs, like I learned that when I was in the US. Yeah. So the, the, the A round in your case was like roughly 10 million. Yeah, exactly. and so you're aiming now to raise a B round, or is it? Uh, do you already prepare? There are people out there who say you, uh, after you close, you already have to start raising again. Like, how do you do that? And is it uh, a goal to raise B soon, or is it not necessary? We are right now um, deciding on that. I think we do not. I mean, we do not want to raise our Series B just because we want to raise a Series B. Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing to gain from that. We want to have a very clear plan why we're raising that money, what additional things could we do, mm -hmm. and that's what we're building up right now. So right now we're building up those business scenarios where we say, okay, that's what we would need the money for. And to your question, do you raise as soon as you've stopped raising? Yes, because the best time to raise is when you don't need Aged money. the money, okay. Yeah. And so, but then a B round would be larger, right? So it would, you would raise maybe like a 30, 40, 50 million maybe to really like grow internationally. Like it was in your case, it would probably be a lot of money you would spend on marketing and bringing the product to different markets. Is that something you are aiming for? Or where, where is Ava standing in these funny letters? <laughs> in the funny letters? I mean, we're post A, um, we are pre B. Um, and I mean, a B round is definitely, is definitely an option for us, a really attractive option. 
But again, I mean, I don't think, I think the numbers you mentioned would be too high because okay. we just don't need the money. Okay. I think that's another kind of startup, yeah, right. startup thing. You, you should really raise what you need and yeah. plus a little bit more, but you mm -hmm. also shouldn't just raise because you can. Yeah. Um, and so, so we are right now looking at what we, what we would do with that money. And I mean, for mm -hmm. us as a medical technology company, the things we would do with that money is mostly clinical research. Okay. Actually, the money, marketing is important, but we, you know, it, it's, it, we don't need that much of an upfront investment in a market mm -hmm. to make it work. Um, okay. So for us, it's really much more important to invest further in, in medical research that we need. Is there any advice on like choosing an idea? Because you said you had your ed tech idea, which you yeah. didn't follow up on, and then yeah. you joined Ava. Is there anything you could recommend? Like if someone says, hey, I could go for A or B or C, mm -hmm. how would you recommend someone to take a decision? What would you go for? I think if you look at your idealist, you have to be aware that if this thing works out in 10 years, you're still going to be working on this. I think a lot of people have this impression, and I had it, right? You, you look at things and you're like instant success and three years, or you don't even believe in the idea really. So you say, ah, two or three years, I'll do that now. But in reality, if this works out, you're going to do this for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So look at that list and say, okay, what do I still feel comfortable with in a couple of years? And I would say intuitively go for the idea that means the most to you that for some reason you really really think it should be there mm -hmm. because I mean I saw that when I changed from from chocolate to women's health I <laughs> great example yeah. I mean I love chocolate and I'm really passionate about it but it doesn't it's not something that I can be really proud of and you know say okay I sold chocolate in India that was, I mean, of course mm -hmm. I tried to spin it that way and I said, okay, premium chocolate wasn't there, more mm -hmm. healthy, whatever. But in the end, in the end, it's a complete difference to work in women's health, which personally really, really You're means a lot to affecting life. Exactly. And, and I affect my own life, yeah. right? So, so that, that really helps. So I would really urge people to take something that they're comfortable with in the long run. And also they have some kind of personal connection to that makes it really valuable for them to be there. Do you have like something like mentors or coaches or people you relate to, like that you have a close relationship? I do, but I don't have this really formal mentor um, that a lot of people are talking about. So, so I wouldn't, I mean, always, people always say that it's really necessary for you to have that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it is, I think so far. Yeah. But I'm still, I mean, I would still be open to finding one. So if you know anyone, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's let me turn know. It, let's turn it around. I think you could be a wonderful mentor to other people. Probably time is an issue in your case and maybe location because you're in the US. But if there are especially women out there, young entrepreneurs who would like to reach out to you, is there any way that you say, hey, if you're doing this or that and you think I could help you in any way, like what's the best way to get in touch with you and maybe to, to have you as a mentor? Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're still in the middle of things. You always find the idea of being a role model that you mentioned before or mentoring people you find a little strange. But um, I mean, for me, absolutely. I mean, I would happily meet for coffee whenever I can. I'm usually in the US, but if anyone comes by there or, or in Zurich and everyone should just reach out to me. It's uh, leah.fonbitter at awomen.com. They should just write me an email. Okay, very cool. So thank you so much for taking the time and Absolutely. all the best with Ava. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you.